0: Yeah, there you go. Oh, I know what it was now. uh, There you go. It just came right back to me. Um, Just so you know my schedule, I'll be here next Sunday, but then the next two Sundays we'll be in Alabama. So I know Will's graduating from high school. That's our baby. And um, so we're going down for his graduation, and then we're going to the beach for a week, Panama City, and um, sit. And Dusty's flying down. And really for the first time since Dusty's wedding, the whole family will be together, so I know I'm gonna oh be God. so excited about that. So we'll be there from the 20, whatever the 30th. I don't know what That's that Saturday that is. Yeah. Yes, we'll be there from that Saturday till June the 3rd, and then we're going to my mom's house for a week. So, and she's in a new house. They moved to a new place, and um, actually, she's loving it. She's found her girlfriends. They're all there, and yeah she's playing bridge again and doing all those things i I kept telling her you know she didn't want to leave and i understand that the change is such a traumatic thing but now she's found all her buds she's good she's doing great and dad's doing good but you know you could just plant him anywhere and he's happy just give him a book give him the channel changer And my dad could be happy anywhere in the entire universe, so.
1: Basically, men are
0: more. Yeah, easy, yeah, that's it, yeah. But he got his little coffee group back, too. And um, so they're trying. um, He goes this week to the VA, and they're working to get him a little motor scooter so he can drive up to the big house and have coffee with his buds and And
1: so. Oh, I know. That's what
0: I'm thinking, absolutely. So, But, um, yeah, so he just, um, he's doing good, too. So, praise God for that. But we're going up in love on him a little bit. So, anyway, and then I'll be back on that next Sunday. So, there will be the next, this next Sunday I'll be there, but then the next two I won't. Memorial Day weekend, yes. And then the next weekend, so. If anybody would like to relieve Ralph, because I'm about to put Ralph back on the hot spot, God bless him. (laughs) If any of you are willing to take that on, just let me know. Um, Okay. Having said that, we're going back into Genesis. Um, We're going to chapter 32 again. I wanted to read some of the comments about Jacob in his wrestling match with God, um, just because the viewpoints are uh, varied, but really interesting. And... um, You just can kind of glean some things about Jacob. Jacob, um, Jacob's a wrestler. You know, it's just what he is. And um, God tends to meet us where we are, to teach us new things. And he takes you from where you are to somewhere else. But Jacob always, and, and will continue for the rest of his life to depend on his own strength. And he'll continue to wrestle the rest of his life. He never gets it quite. No matter what God says, no matter how many times God comes and says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to deliver you. You are going to, you know, out of you is going to come a great nation because he promised that to Abraham. And by the end, you realize that God says to Jacob, I'm the I'm the God of Abraham and of Isaac. <laughs> he never says, and you're God too. He just says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. And I'm telling you, I'm going to take care of you because he just knows Jacob's nature. And, um, so because Jacob's a wrestler, God met him there to teach him something, um, about humility and about, you know, the end of this wrestling. I think it was a great message because he was about to go to see Esau. That was the next thing on his plate. And if he'd gone in there trying to wheedle and, um, you know, be his sneaky old self with Esau this time, nothing would have changed. But God had to at least get through to him that he could not do everything on his own power. And Jacob is always going to be there. And every time he does that, he opens the door for such tragedies in his life. You know, I mean, terrible things happened to Jacob that that were needless. Um, But um, because he was so dependent on himself, so stubborn about everything, everything was a struggle for him, yes, he prospered. But it wasn't easy. You know, 20 years of hard labor, 14 just to get two wives, which you really only wanted the one. And um, there was always that struggle going on between the wives and everything. And then he has another six years that he's struggling with um, Laban to get enough so he can leave and live on his own. You know, if he had just put everything in God's hands a long time ago, what would have happened? Who knows? But he didn't do that. He and his mother both started by cheating um, Esau out of the blessing. He'd already cheated Esau out of his birthright. Um, and um, nothing changes much for Jacob. I mean, I you know, I used to think God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob was right up there on the level with Abraham and Isaac. But I'm telling you, mm-mm. no. He, he is on the coattails of that covenant because in his loins are the seed that are going to bring forth Jesus Christ eventually. So, God's taking care of him because he promised Abraham and because he promised Isaac. And so Jacob, you know, is just in there. But you'll see it. I mean, you've already seen so many things he's done. And you would think he would have learned. But he knows that Jacob's a wrestler. So he meets Jacob right where he is, you know. Um. So I just wanted to read some some of the authors that were writing about him because it's just kind of interesting John Gill is the first the wrestling was real and corporal on both parts the man took hold of Jacob and Jacob took hold of the man and they strove and struggled together for victory as wrestlers do and on Jacob's part it was also a mental and a spiritual struggle and it signified a fervent striving with God in prayer now, I find that kind of interesting, but, but at the end, you find out that he, he's still wrestling just to get a blessing from God, you know? So there is that fervent struggle going on there. Um, um, with Abraham, who is a man that was strong in abiding faith and a personal friend of God, intercession just flowed with him. You know, you look at that picture. Would you save Sodom and Gomorrah for 50 would you save him for 40? Yes, I would save him for 40. Would you save him for 30? Sure, I would save him for 30. Do you know what I mean? And, and intercession flowed so easily with Abraham. And nothing, nothing flowed easily with Jacob. Um, it, he never understood that covenant tie that he had. Not really. Um, with Jacob, who had no knowledge of who this man was and no intimacy... He scrapped and struggled in his own strength to wrest a blessing away from this man for himself. He was depending on his own strength and ability to better this man and thereby deserve a blessing from him. It's Kind of an interesting attitude. and, and But honestly, the more you get to know about Jacob, the more you realize that is exactly what it is. Um, okay, Albert Barnes says this. When God has a new thing of a spiritual nature to bring into the experience of a man, he begins with his senses and leads him through his senses to the higher thing of reason, conscience, and communion with God. Jacob seems to have gone through the principles or foundations of faith in God um, and repentance toward him, and he seems to have entered upon a stage of spontaneous action Because of that inward feeling of spiritual power that prompts a believer to say, I can do all things. He did rely on God as was demonstrated in some of his words and deeds. But the prominent feature of his character was still a strong will and a firm reliance on himself. And this practical self-reliance though naturally springing up in the new man and highly commendable in itself, was not yet in Jacob duly subordinated to the absolute reliance which ought to be placed in the author of our being and our salvation. So it's not that being self-reliant is just a negative, but self-reliance in itself is not any good until you bring it into subjection to, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um... And then he keeps on, and he says, A man appeared to him in his loneliness, having the form and bodily substance of a man, and wrestled with Jacob, and encountered him in the very point in which he was strong. He had been a taker by the heel from his very birth, and his subsequent life had been a constant and successful struggle with all of his adversaries. Jacob, true to his character, struggles with his stranger while life remains and he struggled in order to subdue um, the man. The man touches the socket of his hip and it is wrenched out of socket. The thigh is the pillar of a man's strength and its joint with the hip is the seat of physical force in a wrestler. Everybody knows that. If you know wrestling, your hips are everything. That's it, if you don't have uh, strong hips, you don't have a strong stance, you can't keep your hips under you, you are never going to be a wrestler. Um, so that was the seed of his power. And so um, this, this man that wrestled with Jacob let that thigh bone be thrown out of joint. And now Jacob was utterly crippled. Jacob now finds that this mysterious wrestler has wrested from him by one touch all of his might and he can no longer even stand alone without support and without support um from himself he hangs on the conqueror and in that condition he learns by experience the practice of sole reliance on one mightier than himself it's a shame that didn't stick this is a turning point i don't think it was really now jacob feels himself strong but not in himself, but in the Lord and the power of his might. Only for a fleeting moment. Um, He declares his determination to cling to this man until his conqueror blesses him. He knows he's in the hands of a higher power who can disable and again enable, who can curse and also bless. He knows himself to now be utterly helpless Without the healing, quickening, and protecting power of His Victor, you know it's just um, it's just Jacob's heart. And the thing is, is after the wrestling match, what does he do? He says, "Who are you?" Um, he had no idea who he was, he, and and he wasn't asking in the sense of, um, you know, he knew that that God was involved in this. You know, I've seen the face of God and lived. He says that. But he he says, what's your name? And the interesting thing is, is he doesn't get the name. God doesn't give him his name. But you know what? The first time Abraham said, who are you? God said, I am. He told Abraham right away his name. Well, think about it. Abraham knew the title, Lord God, you know. um, Elohim, El-Alion, Elohim. He knew that, the Lord God Almighty. But... It's like us, you know, we can speak about the governor. And when you use the title governor, you're speaking about someone that you know of. You know who he is. You know the power. You know the authority. But you don't call him by his first name unless you're intimate with him. And Jacob was not intimate with God. So God didn't tell him his first name. There's no intimacy there whatsoever. Abraham knew his name. Because God told him, Abraham was his friend.
1: Where does where I'm mean, okay? Where is all right?
0: Uh, go here. Where's Jacob asking God okay. his
1: name? Okay,
0: go to uh, Genesis 32. And start with verse 30, uh, 26. And he said, "Let me go, for the day breaks." And he said, "I will not let you go, except you bless me." And he said to him, Jacob said to him, um, "What's your name?" Uh, I'm sorry he asked Jacob he said what's your name and he said Jacob and then he said your name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel for a prince um, have you power with God and with men and, um, and have prevailed and Jacob asked him and said tell me there I pray you, you your name and he said what is it that you do ask after my name you know, in other words why are you asking after my name but he blessed him there anyway so he said, who are you that you're asking me? You don't tell somebody your first name unless you intend to be friends with them, unless you intend to be intimate either, you know? Um,
1: so Jacob really, did he know he was wrestling with
0: God? He did, he built the altar there, he called it Peniel. Yeah, he said, I've yeah. seen the face of God, you know, and I live to tell about it. He knew uh, Elohim, El Aliyan, the Lord God Almighty, okay? But he didn't know I am. He didn't know Yahweh. He didn't know him. And God didn't tell him his name because they're not intimate. And that's important. And Jacob doesn't become intimate with God. He never knows the living God the way Abraham and Isaac knew him. He never does. And um, it's beyond me why that is. But Jacob, everything he ever gets, he wrestles for it. Could it just be genetic makeup from Rebecca? Like, I don't like know. Like in Laban and that whole... I don't know. You know, I kind of like at, how yeah. our traits are today. Yeah. Maybe just genetics from that twisted kind yeah. of... Yeah, thinking or Rebecca's thinking is worldly and um, Isaac didn't do enough to raise him up the way he should have. I don't know. I don't know. But Jacob just never quite got it. Um, and, and it keeps going. I mean, now... He's had, this is like the fourth or fifth encounter. He met him when he was going up to to Padinoram, or Haran. And God met him right there and opened the heavens and showed him the angels. And said, I'm promising to take care of you. You know, build, you know, and put the pillar up there. Then he got there and he suffered through 14 years. And finally God says to him, speaks to him and says, Now you need to get out of there. You need to come. You need to go back to your father's twice he speaks to him, tells him to get out and go back to his father's. And then he comes along the way and God shows him the angels that are going with him when he's coming, you know, coming along. And still, Jacob just doesn't get it. He still relies on his own strength and his own power. I, it boggles my mind. And his whole life is just full of heartache. I
1: mean, and the God of Abraham they, I mean, they, they lived that and told those they did. and Joseph was such a man of God and trusted yes. God so Joseph yes. had to get it passed down somewhere yes
0: it's, he did but you know he grew up with Isaac I mean he was just a teenager when he came back to to, um, uh, to Beersheba okay. and that area so Isaac was there and alive okay. when Joseph came back and Benjamin was born there you know and, um
1: when Jacob came back yes mm-hmm. always right
0: right okay. so Joseph would have had time with Isaac Joseph stayed home he wasn't he wasn't with his other brothers you know he was outside of that clan he was the baby he was the one that doted on so I imagine he did spend a lot of time with his grandpa so you know
1: are
0: important. yeah mm-hmm. yeah um but um Jacob was a lousy father on top of that I mean you always can tell a parent most of them not anymore because I mean there are really good parents out there who have kids that are in the ditch but for the most part you can tell you know parenting by looking at kids and how they behave you know from little you know you can tell the kids that are running wild in your house you go well, where, where are their parents you know the ones that are polite and nice you know their parenting is going on we're not perfect none of us have a book but you know, come on. When you've got sons that are covenant breakers and liars and murderers and then um, t- do terrible things. I mean, not dis- not just dis- ornery, but I mean terrible things. And um, there's no shame in them. There's no embarrassment in it. There's no, you know, just none of that. So yeah, um, you just. You just know he didn't do a very good job. And they none of them talked about the Lord. And wait till you see what happens. Well, he started back home. If you remember, one of the first things he told them to do is to, to when they, well, when they headed back and God meets them again one more time um, and says, now from here, go to Bethel, do it now. He has to tell all of his family to get rid of their idols. Is okay. Get rid of all of your idols. We're going home.
1: So he was allowing them to have yes, them. Yes,
0: they all had them, and um. So you know, I don't think he, he wasn't a very good parent. He well, wasn't. he
1: didn't. It was clear he wasn't. He Mm-mm. he married Leah, but there there's these got these sons who knew that Jacob didn't love yeah. Leah nearly like
0: right. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, and and it's um. And Jacob didn't make a secret of it. You know, and and all those things matter. You know, but yeah. So here's Jacob now, and he's had another intimate, intimate clash with God. And in order to calm him down and to get him to stop wrestling, he had to throw his hip out of joint. Um, The next thing people ask is, was he permanently crippled? Because you hear that story all the time. But you know what? He's alone on one side of the river, the ford there, and he has to get across that river and go to meet Esau by himself. He couldn't have been, he couldn't have been lame and done that. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Targum writers say, no, he, he was okay. You know, God straightened him out so he could get him to do what he had to do, but threw his hip out of joint there to let him know that, you know, he needed to trust God. So I don't know, I mean, it never says anything about whatever happened to his hip joint, but um, everybody says, well, yeah, he's on one side of the river and he walks from the Jabb- across the Jabbok, he forwards the Jabbok and walks to meet Esau by himself. <clears throat> if your hip's out of joint, you don't walk very well. <clears throat> and he was by himself. So how's he gonna get there unless? It
1: would seem though, he <clears throat> had a limp or something because the Jewish Ma'am. people they talk no about that, that sinew, eat that, that
0: sinew, yes, you're right. But I, you know, I don't know. And, and scholars will tell you that. It's, it isn't anywhere in there, one way or the other. But he wasn't completely lame because he got up and walked the very next morning and went, went to meet his brother. So it's hard to say. <clears throat> but at the end of that wrestling match, God had given him the name of Israel. Not because, there are some writers that say, well, he changed his name because he changed his nature. No. The change of name, or the alternative name, is prophetic of what's to come out of Jacob. The nation of Israel is coming out of Jacob, and the ruler is Jesus Christ. And that's what he talks about. He says, you have power with God and with men. You know, For as a prince, you have power with God and with men. He's not speaking to Jacob the man. He's speaking to Jesus Christ who's in his loins. So everything about Jacob's name Israel is prophetic. <clears throat> it doesn't have anything to do with um, changing his name literally. Um, and now what you find is, is there's a split. When scriptures speak about the man and what he's doing, and where he's going, and what's going on, Jacob, but when there is an implication about the future, about the nation of Israel, about, you know, like all the sons together doing something, the name Israel is mentioned, but um, uh, it has nothing to do with the change of his nature, it has everything to do with Jesus prophesying over him, Okay? Because in essence, he was wrestling with the second person of the Trinity, a man, and the covenant God, the covenant part of God. And uh, so Jesus was speaking prophetically there. I'm in your loins, you know, you've wrestled with God and prevailed. A prince will rule and have, you know, power over men and and power with God. It's kind of prophecy within a prophecy, you know. and so at the end of the wrestling match God is gone Jacob recognizes he's met God Elohim face to face not Yahweh but Elohim he doesn't know the name of God he doesn't have that name because God didn't give it to him they're not intimate he has the title but not the personal name Abraham got the personal name right away and so did Moses. Got the name right away. That personal name. <clears throat> but the nature of those men is different. Those men is different than the nature of Jacob. Moses could talk face to face with God just like Abraham could. Intimately. So he, they knew his name. But Jacob, he's still wrestling to get his own blessings. You know? Fighting for everything he gets.
1: Is Moses still alive at
0: Uh, Moses hasn't been born yet this is um, yeah this is uh, about 500 years before Moses yeah 500 years before Moses is born so now Jacob has dealt with his past he's gotten rid of Laban and that hook up with the world he has dealt with um, with God although it you know, the prophecy was there, but not much of a change in Jacob, Um, and now Jacob is looking to undo another one of his wrestling matches, and that's with Esau, and he has a lot to undo, starting with grabbing his heel when they were born, trying to wrestle his way out first to stealing his birthright, to stealing the family blessing from him. Um, He has a lot to get right with Esau. And um, after spending that night in a wrestling match, he heads across to meet his brother. Um, So Jacob now has arranged his family into three different groups to go before him as a buffer between... Um, Esau and, and himself. So the first group is going to be Bilhah and Zilpah. Those are the handmaidens of his two wives, Leah and um, Rachel. And um, so Bilhah and Zilpah and their sons go in the first group. Second group is Leah and her sons. And then the most important, they go from least important to most important, And the last ones to go are Rachel and Joseph, and then him. Okay, that's the way the procession goes. So let's just start reading in chapter 33, verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel, um, and unto the two handmaidens. And he put the handmaidens and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times as he came near to his brother. Literally bowed himself down to the ground means laid prostate on the ground with his face in the dirt. And then he would get up and walk away, and then he'd lay down all the way to the ground <clears throat> with his face in the dirt. Um, <clears throat> the Targum suggests there that he was praying and asking for mercies of the Lord as he went toward Esau and I'm thinking there probably was some of that in the bowing but the bowing was humbling himself before Esau in an attempt to save his life and the lives of his family that's what the, that bowing was all about but Esau had changed tremendously um Esau was a man who had, you know, he, he, he may not have understood it, but he really was resting in the blessing of God. God had promised to make him a great nation anyway. Um, <clears throat> and so he was resting in the blessing. He never struggled. He just lived it out. And God prospered and prospered and prospered. Um, after all, he's the great-grandson of Abraham. You know? And um, so he lived in the covenant and in the blessing of it he never did struggle but his blessings and his wealth were great and his 12 sons became a great nation too the nation of Edom and um, so Esau had mellowed tremendously and verse 4 Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Now, some scholars say, Yeah, but is still planning to kill him when, when Isaac's dead. You know? But the Targum writers and the Jewish writers say, No, and this is why. Um, you know, Jesus talks about the jots and the tittles in Scripture. There are no um, alphabet. There are no vowels in their alphabet. There's no A-E-I-O-U sounds. They're only consonants. And the only way you know how to pronounce a word is by these jots and tittles that are marked around each of the letters. There will be little marks that will tell you, you know, what the sound of that letter is at this point in time. Not only are there jots and tittles that talk about the sound, but there are also marks called pricks and the pricks indicate <clears throat> emphasis. And um so they talked about this the pricking of the word for kiss in the Hebrew. Um the whole in the Hebrew the word the whole phrase is vayish shachehu, okay? Shachehu and when you get to the shach that's the kiss. And over that shock is three pricks, which means that he genuinely, deeply loved Jacob. That there was a strong and a powerful emotion in that kiss. So it wasn't a ceremonial kiss, but rather from Esau's part, it came right from the depth of his being. Right from the depth of his heart. And I'm going. Now that's really cool. I and mean, who would have thought that, you know? But um, the pricks over it because there are three pricks. That that means a strong emphasis on the kiss, and the action indicates the heart. Um. In in any of in any Hebrew, if you want to know the true meaning of a word, you have to look at the verb. Every verb, every word, every noun has its origins in a verb, and if you want to know what the true meaning of the noun is, kiss, then you have to look at the verb for kiss to see what what it literally means, and in this with three pricks, it literally means a deep, emotional, loving kiss, so um, yeah, so like if you're looking up a word in, um, uh, in your concordance or whatever, and it gives you the meaning of a noun, usually it'll give you another word to look up or a number for a word in the concordance. Always look up the root, that number, because that's the verb. And when you read the verb, then you find the true meaning for the noun. So, yeah. So, in Hebrew, that's the only way you can really know the true meaning of the nouns. Yeah.
1: What verse is the kiss in?
0: Um, It's in verse four. four? Yeah. He ran and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the women and the children. And he said, "Who are those with you?" And he said, "The children which God has graciously given your servant." And he calls himself servant, which literally means your subservient. Jacob is is giving it up. He is saying, "I recognize that you're my older brother; that you're the one with the seat of power, um, and that." Um, The blessing should have belonged to you. Um, And so he's calling himself servant, not in the sense of slave, but in the sense of order of importance in the family. Okay? Then the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, "What, What mean you by this drove which I met and I was, what what is all this cattle, these camels and goats and all the stuff that you sent, hundreds and hundreds of things he said, what did you mean by that and he said, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord another acknowledgement that in the order of the family, Esau is the one who has the rightful, the birthright And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that which you have to yourself. And Jacob said, No, I pray you. If now I have found grace in your sight, then receive my present at my hand. And therefore, I have seen your face. And as though I had seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Take, I pray you, my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. Okay. In, um, even in our society, like if you go to somebody's house for dinner, they've invited you for dinner and it's a big deal, you usually take something, you know, a bottle of wine, flowers, you take some little gift to say thank you. Now, it's not, it's, it's not spoken, but if that person that you give it to refuses the gift, there's an insult attached to that, Okay? So like they say, I don't want your gift, I just want you to eat dinner with us. There's a little bit of an insult and a rebuff in that refusal to accept the gift. Whether or not it's meant, that doesn't matter. There's rebuff in it and you feel it. It's like somebody when you reach your hand out to shake their hand and they don't. They don't reach back, you know. There's a rebuff in that 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 goes unspoken, but somehow socially we understand that, okay? So when there's a gift given between people, okay, it's really a double gift. First is the person, the person on the receiving end must receive the gift. Okay, so you have, if you're giving the gift, the person that receives it is being blessed because you've blessed them. However, when they receive the gift with gratefulness, you are being blessed.
1: You just said it with Teen Challenge. Yes,
0: exactly it. Right. And so the receiving of the gift is as much a gift as the giving of the gift. Okay? There's gifting on both sides. So for Esau to have rejected that gift would have been a rebuff of, uh, of Jacob's attempt, you know. By receiving the gift and receiving what Jacob was reaching out to him, he was more than saying, I just accept the gift I accept you and therefore the giving was the acceptance of the gift, it went both ways so it was important that Esau accept that gift even though he didn't need it, he has his own family, he has his own huge mass of cattle that he's doing very well Um, it was important that Esau receive that gift um And then it was cool because Jacob said, no, my gift is this. I've seen your face. And it's as if God is saying in the expression on your face that you've accepted me. That I am forgiven. Um, The word there is that you were pleased is rutsal, which literally means you were satisfied as if satisfying a debt. Accepting approval. Delighting in, enjoying, pardoning, and reconciling. So he says, when I see the look on your face, then I know you're accepting me. You are reconciling with me. You know, you are pardoning me. You're delighting and enjoying in my presence here. That's what that means when he looks at the, at, on the, at the expression on his face. Um, in verse um, 10. And Jacob said, no, I pray you, if now I have found grace in your sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore, I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. And that word pleased literally means that the dead is satisfied between them. He has accepted Jacob. He has approved Jacob, pardoned him, and reconciled with him. All those words are in that word pleased. So, um, it was as if God had answered that prayer, you know. And so, Esau took the gift. Um, Whether he needed it or not, Esau took the gift. And now comes the strangest passage of all. And there is no... (laughs) I mean nobody has the answer for this okay nobody but if you continue reading here this is the way it is um, look at verse 11 take I you my blessing or, take this blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt gracious with me and because I have enough and he urged him and he took it and he said and this is Esau let's take our journey and let's go and I'll go before you so Esau was saying to him, come on, I'm going to take you home with me. Let's go. And Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender. They were young kids. And the flocks and the herds are young with me. And if men should drive them one day, all the flock would die. So in other words, I can't hurry. We have to go slow. I have young kids. This is going to take a while. Plus,
1: my hip hurts.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You would think he would have used that excuse, wouldn't you? (laughs) Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servants, and I'll lead on softly, according as the cattle that goes before me, and the children be able to endure until I come to my Lord in Sire. Sire is in Edom. That's, you know, in the big area south of uh, the Dead Sea. That whole big area down there becomes Edom, the nation of Edom. And it's huge. Um, so he says, I'll come to Sire, but we're just going to travel at our own pace. Now, if you're looking geographically, if you're following down the Jordan River, okay, you're going down the Jordan, look on the east side of the Jordan in your mind, find the east side of the Jordan. About halfway down the Jordan River, between the Sea of Galilee and between, um, the Dead Sea, there's a fork off of that, and it goes due east, and that's called the Jebok. Okay, J-A-B-B-O-K. Okay, that's called the Jabbok. Now, Jacob had just crossed over the Jabbok River when he meets Esau. He's just on the south side of the Jabbok River, okay, when he meets Esau. And um, so Esau says, come on with me to Sire. Come on, let's go. And Jacob says, no, I'm, I, I have to move slowly with my family, okay? But this is the deal. He never goes to Sire. He never goes to Sire. So you think, everybody goes, what? He promised his brother he was coming, and yet he never shows up in Sire. Never, it's never recorded that he ever went to Sire. Um, And nobody has an answer for that. You know, nobody has that answer. Now, here are some of the suggestions, but nobody, absolutely nobody has the answer for that. Why didn't he go? Number one, Jacob still maintained his sneaky ways, and he was still a little bit wary of Esau, so he lied to get rid of Esau. Some contemporary Jewish scholars think that's true. Um, Contemporary Christian authors suggest that his intent was to go to Zaire, but some conditions arose that caused him to have to stop at Succoth. Okay. Some say that he took his family as far as sucketh and he left them there in the care of servants and he went alone to Sire intent on strengthening his relationship with his brother. But he never took the whole family to Sire so maybe he went alone. Um So to me it would have been dangerous to disoblige his brother. (laughs) You know to not go would have been very dangerous. And um I can't for the life of me think he didn't go but it's never recorded in scripture that he ever ever in his life went to Sire ever isn't that weird he says oh no I'll be there we're coming we're coming um, so we don't know exactly why you know and then the next question is why did he stop at Succoth Succoth is just right there near the Jabbok Closer to the Jordan, it's not on the other side of the Jordan. Um, There is a Succoth on the other side of Jordan, but that's not the one. And um, so he comes to Succoth, and that's where he stops. He doesn't go any further south. Um, All right, go back to scripture. My only thought on that is, is that. Jacob obviously had to go to see his brother. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been peace among them when they when it came to burying Isaac. You know, I, I, maybe he just went without them. I would like to believe that he did. That he went maybe and didn't take the family. But um, you just, you know, we don't know. And then why did he stop at Succoth? You know, there's another question there. Um, let's just go to verse 15. And Esau said, all right, let me leave now with you some of the people that are with me. And he said, um, why do I need it? Let me find grace in your sight. So he says to Jacob, let me just leave some of my people to help you with your travels to get here. You know, what, I don't need all these people, so let me just leave some with you. So whether he did or not, I don't know. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house and made boots for his cattle and therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. Okay. Succoth is kind of in no man's land. Alright. It, it, it's neither here nor there. Um, but God had clearly told Jacob, you go to Bethel. Yeah. And he made it very clear to Jacob that that's where he was to go. But Jacob sits down and sucketh. And um, so why did he do that? Why did he stop and sucketh? I don't know. Um, Genesis 31, if you go back to 31, 13 through 19. Or just look at verse 13. Here's God telling him, I am the God of Bethel. Where you anointed the pillar and where you vowed the vow to me. And the vow that he vowed was, I will return again to Isaac, my father. That was the vow that Jacob swore to God. And this is when the heavens opened and the angels were going up and down on the ladder. And God reminds him of that. He said, this is the vow that you made. So now I'm telling you, get out of here and go back to Bethel. The very place where we started together. You know, where the heavens opened up, go back to Bethel.
1: So is Succoth in the land of the same land?
0: No. Yeah. Succoth is in the heart of Canaan. Canaan is another and type Bethel of the world. Is not in Canaan. No. Canaan, Succoth is um uh Canaan, let me see. Succoth is right in that dead center part of the Jordan River, east and west. In that area, okay? That is the heart of Canaanite country. And that's the world. Totally the world. Um, Maybe, uh, and I don't know about Succoth, uh, but I know it's going to be more than 75 miles north of where Bethel was. And Bethel was 40 miles north of Jerusalem. So, you know, it's a good ways up there and east. So, I mean, he's a good ways away and he stops. But God had said, Jacob, you go to Bethel. But he stops in Succoth. And who knows why. But he did. You just go, wow, Jacob, what's wrong with you? And hadn't he not just wrestled with God right there at the Jabbok? You know, I'm going, I think if I'd had a wrestling match with Jesus, I probably would have gone on to Bethel. You know, that would have been enough of a deal to impress me to to go to Bethel. You know, not to be questioning what I do. But Jacob is still Jacob. So God blesses obedience. And he clearly told Jacob to go to back to Isaac in the land um, of Beersheba, where Isaac and Abraham had lived, you know. To take his entire family to Sire would have been disobedient. And to stay in Succoth is disobedient, you know. But he didn't do what God told him to do. He stopped short of it. Um, I, I still just don't get it. You know, I mean, I, I, I look at this and I think, what in the world? Now, the Hebrew people say because the name Succoth is mentioned twice, Succoth literally means summer in the Hebrew. Um, that he stayed uh, for a full year there. He built a house. The word house there is bayeth or Bayet which literally means a winter house. Not just pitched a tent, but he literally built a winter house. And he um, built shelters for his animals. So he's in the summertime, preparing to be there through winter, and he stays till the following summer. So he stays in Succoth for a whole year, when he, in just a very few days, could have been in Bethel. You know, he wasn't all that red hot far from Bethel. But he decides to spend a year in Succoth. Nobody knows why. Um, some people say, well, the summer, the, the water's high on the Jordan and he couldn't cross it. Um, <clears throat> so he had to wait till, you know, at the end of spring or sometime when he could get all of his animals across the Jordan. I don't know. But whatever the reason, he didn't go to Bethel like he was supposed to. He did not do that. And so he stayed there for a full year. From summer to the following summer. Um, And then Jacob picks up and starts to travel again. Genesis 33. Here we go again. Verse 18. Okay. Um, And then Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem. Now, this Shalem is not the Shalem that's Jerusalem, where Melchizedek was. This Shalem is right there in the heart of Canaan country, in what is called the area of Shechem. Shechem uh, is the son of a great man who, um, the Hevites, the Hevites live in that area. Those are the ones that, like every time you read in um, Exodus and... um, and all God's saying, and in the book of Joshua, he says, just go wipe out every Hevite. Do not let one of them live. It's always the Hevites and the Perizzites and the you know, Jebusites. and So the Hevites are just one of those tribes that God says they are bad news. Now, of course, Moses is 500 years out, but it's the same nature, the same spirit, okay? And so he leaves Succoth after a year, and where does he go? He goes to Shechem, or to Salem, which is in Shechem. Okay, and this just makes you sick, or at least it does me. Jacob came to Shalem, and the word Shalem there um, uh, means friendly, peaceable, quiet, and perfect. So what they're saying is, is the name of the place where he came was Shechem, but it was Shalem because it was peaceful and beautiful and quiet and uh, a perfect place. Okay? So, and Jacob came to Shalem, a city, or the perfect, peaceful, beautiful place, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram, which is Harem, and he pitched his tent before the city. And look at this, and he bought a parcel of a field where he spread his tents at the hand of the children of Hamor. Hamor is the father of all those cities. Shechem is his son. So Hamar is, uh, would be like the king, but, you know, we know him as the, the, um, the head of the family, you know, um, the patriarch of the family. And then Shechem was his son, so he'd be right under him. And then all these little towns were just family members, okay? Um, and um, so that's where he is. And look what he did. He bought a piece of land for a hundred pieces of silver. I just, oh, I don't know. It, it just infuriates me when I think about that. He traveled to, to that place and he saw that land and he said, man, this is beautiful. And he bought land there and sat down. What had God told him to do? Go to Beth-El. Get yourself up, get out of Haran and go to Beth-El. And he said it and he said it and he said it. And Jacob picks up his family and goes to Shechem and buys a piece of dying ground and sits down. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, God, how do you deal with him? How, how in the world could you deal with him? Um, he's sitting right in the middle of, of the world. Again, the Hevites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, they're always a type of the world. Bethel is a place where God is. Jerusalem, Beersheba, um, Gerar, all those places where Abraham and Isaac had lived and God had, you know, blessed that area for them. And no, again, he leaves Haran, which is a type of the world where he spent 20 years of his life pulling his hair out. And where does he sit down? Right in the middle of the world again. He does not go back to Beth-El. He buys land and starts to... To live right there. Um, You just... You know, I just don't get it. And then again, guess what happens? More heartbreak. More heartbreak. Um, It just... I don't know. I I just get crazy over Jacob. Okay. So here we go. Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And when he came from Badan Aram, that's Heron, and he pitched his tent before the city... And he bought that parcel of ground where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Just because he elected to build an altar there does not make it anointed of God. That's like doing something and then asking God to bless what you did. Rather than listening to God and doing what God said so it is blessed. You make up your mind what you want to do and then you're going to tell God to bless it. And that's what he was doing there. Um, that's what he was doing there. And here he had one daughter and her name was Dinah. And the trouble starts. The trouble starts. So we'll pick up with Dinah next time. But you know what? If you open the door, if you put your foot in the cracks, things happen. Things happen, um, so we'll pick up there next time, and then we'll start talking about Dinah, another tragedy. If what would have happened if you'd just gone straight to Bethel? Hmm. Just think about it. None of that would have happened.
1: This. why did Esau bring 400 men with him? Was Esau kind of planning on we're going to duke this out?
0: And I don't he know.
1: Notice Jacob being humble?
0: I don't I mean, know. Why
1: would you bring 400,
0: 400 men? 400 men. Yeah. Unless he was just preparing in case Jacob was coming after him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I have no idea.
1: Yeah.
0: But and I, it doesn't matter. But no, but Esau acted far more honorably than Jacob did. And then for Jacob, after that, after God delivered him, after God gave him favor with Esau, after God blessed that relationship and reestablished it again, he turns right around and goes back and camps in the world when God had said, go to Bethel. And he just, I don't know. I I just, I've learned a lot. And I have a really hard time with Jacob. I I do. And I didn't used to. But <clears throat> I don't think we're that dumb. I mean, I, I admit I'm dumb, and I do identify a lot with, you know, a lot of things, but even I'm not that stupid, you know. I mean, really, honest to Pete, um, <clears throat> you just think, how could he have been raised and in the presence of Abraham and Isaac and not gotten something, just something, you know? Spent his whole life there. 70 years, and a lot of that, Abraham was still alive, and Isaac was alive for the whole thing. And um, you'd think he would have just gotten like a shred of something, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, but you know what? Maybe he just thought, like, I'm going to ride this wave no matter what because of what they've already
0: established with God, you know, living in the covenant. <coughs> Third, yeah. Third generation. Yeah, but God says, if you go to Bethel, I will bless you. It's no yeah. different in today's society when you have children going out with pastors and stuff. And they turn their ways. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and
1: then you sit there and wonder
0: why, how, why can you that? see the picture? Yeah. And why they just, can't they see it? Yeah. yeah. I question that all the
1: time. Mm-hmm, yeah.
0: yeah. Or they just don't go to church. Right. And so is it in their They're nature to or, or is it Yeah. yeah. <coughs> I know. And it's it's so frustrating to me. But um yeah, I mean, you think, Jacob, I mean, raise a child up in the wheel, go, I can cut preacher's kids some slack for a while. <clears throat> but when they don't come back ever like Jacob, then you think, what happened? You know, my, I remember. Um,
1: Judy was boring.
0: Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa.